Let no man deceive you. You see, there are heresies that are out there. There are things that are not accurate doctrine that will lead you astray. As there are heresies about the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and his work, so there are heresies that we are going to be looking at today in our text. Doctrinal errors. So there are doctrinal errors about the person of Jesus Christ. He addresses this in chapter 2 when he talks about antichrists that are coming. People that are trying to steer you away from who Jesus Christ really is. Oh, he was maybe a good man, or maybe he was a really good teacher, or maybe he was a really good example, and all those things are true. But they miss the important part of who Jesus Christ is. You know, last week we talked about holiness, and whenever the scriptures appeal for holiness from our lives. What I want you to notice is it's never given as a checklist for you to do. It's always attached to doctrine. That's why doctrine is so important. That's, you're going to hear that often in my, in my preaching because without the doctrine, we go astray pretty quickly. Or as we saw last week, if, it, if your holiness is not attached to doctrine, we're going to work very hard at trying to complete all of these checklists and we're going to fail in our checklists and when we do that we will eventually get discouraged and say what's the use and the problem is because we've been trying to do holiness as a something to do rather than understanding holiness from a doctrinal standpoint why are we to be holy why does god tell us you are to be holy Maybe immediately what pops in your mind is from Peter where he says, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. But unless we really connect that doctrine that we just said, we're still going to be very discouraged. You see, the reason why he says, I want you to be holy because I'm holy, what, what we really need to focus on is the fact God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. There is no sin in God. God is perfect. And God says, I don't want you to be captured by the awfulness of sin. Therefore, the reason why he says, I want you to be holy, it's attached to God's character. This week was... 20 years ago that my uncle passed away and went to be with the Lord. I went to be, I went to his funeral, and while I was there at the visitation, one man, we were talking, and he made this statement to me. He said, I don't know why people want to go to heaven if they don't like God. He said, I talk with people, and they use God's name in vain, and they do all the things that are contrary to God, and then they talk about wanting to go to heaven. He said, why would you want to go to heaven? Heaven's just like God. Heaven is holy. Heaven is perfect. That's the reason why there's no tears there, no sorrow. There's no separation. You see, the only reason why there's separation today through death, through all kind of 
relational issues is because of sin. When we get to heaven, all that's gone. So as he has been speaking to us, he says, I want you to be solid on your doctrine because, he says, you need to understand the truth so that you can live a holy life. In chapter 1, he addresses the issue of perfectionism. Some people say, well, when you get saved, now you don't sin anymore. You have to think about that and go, I must not be saved because I still sin. Or some say, you're waiting for this zap. You kind of muddle along as a Christian and muddle along and muddle along until all of a sudden one day, bing, now I live on this perfect plane. The sinful side of me always wants to see just how sinless that person is. Just a little provoking, just to see, are you really as sinless as what you say you are? The reality is, that's not what Scripture teaches. What Scripture teaches is, is that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Remember what it said in verse 10 that we read together this morning. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Today, every believer is still a sinner. We still sin. So, what do we learn? He says, no. He says, as we agree with God, as we look at what we do, as we every day take stock of where we are in life, and we say, that's not like God. I agree with God. This is sin. He's faithful and just. He forgives us. Our walk with him, our fellowship with him, then is unhindered. So he deals with the heresy. He deals with this wrong, this, this twisted or perversion of the doctrine of what the blood of Jesus Christ does. It cleanses us. It doesn't make us perfect. Now we come to one of the most amazing facts of, of all history, what he's going to be describing here in verse 4, and our text talks about a second heresy or doctrinal perversion. One says, I can be perfect. This other doctrinal perversion is, I'm saved. Sin doesn't really matter anymore. I'm right before God, and we have separated justification, how we have been legally declared righteous, and we now say, oh, you know what, I sin, I'm weak, it doesn't really matter, sin's not a big deal. And you notice what John does is he addresses this. First of all, in verse 3, as he's been telling us these glorious truths, he then says, and everyone that has this hope in him, and you remember the teaching on who is the him, it's not in himself, and everyone that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself. No, everyone that has this hope in him, in Jesus Christ, referring back to verse 2. Remember the word and at the beginning of verse 3 refers us back to verse 2. Everyone who knows that he will be like Jesus Christ, everyone who knows this day is coming, now that he is in the family, purifies himself even as he, Jesus Christ, is pure. Our whole goal in life has changed because we're in a new family. We now want to be like our Father. Notice, though, as we get into this text this morning, 
Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he, Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. John's going to use this term several different times. I believe he uses it here, he uses it in verse 8, but he also uses it at the very beginning, where John says, that which, we, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested. The life became visible. The life was available for us to see. Now he's going to answer this question. He says, why was Jesus manifested? Why did Jesus come? And we're going to find two answers for this. In verse 5 we read, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And then notice in verse 8 with me, the, big, the end of the verse, he says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we have these two together. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Why? What is the meaning of the incarnation? God taking on flesh and becoming human. Why did Jesus leave heaven? Why did Jesus have 30 years of life here on earth before his public ministry? Why the miracles? Why the cross? You see, Jesus did not only come to reveal God to us, and he did not come, not, and, he, and he came not only to teach us about God, he came not only to be an example of how to live, but specifically Jesus came because of our sins and the situation we were in. Our sin was the problem. When you read the law, you, you read the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not just something to make us realize what failures we are. The Ten Commandments are literally the writing out of the character of God. And therefore, God is perfect and God is good. Therefore, he wants us to follow that same thing. But we realize we have failed in that. We didn't keep the law. We didn't keep God's character. So why did Jesus come? Jesus came, according to verse 5, he was manifest to take away our sins. He had to come if we were to be delivered. He had to come if he, were to, if he was going to seek and save the lost. He had to come because of what sin has done to us, and it has to be regarded uh, in regard to the law. So let's think about those questions I asked. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Because God told us he was going to send a son. He was going to send himself. God would provide himself a lamb, and he wanted us to know who that was, and he said he will be born in Bethlehem. Why? Uh, what, what is the meaning of the incarnation? That was the only way that we could ever know God and the only way that our sins could ever be forgiven. Jesus Christ had to come in the flesh. Leaving heaven was the only option for us because of our sin. Why 30 years on earth before his public ministry? Because Jesus Christ demonstrated as a baby, as a toddler, as a child, as a teenager, and as an adult, he lived a sinless, perfect life. Any one of us would have said, well... 
All right, he made it through the babyhood. I don't know how he made it through the babyhood with all the crying and with all the selfishness of a baby, but he made it through the babyhood. But as a toddler, well, no, I guess as a toddler, he didn't sin either. When his parents told him no, he didn't disobey them. When his parents told him to go do something, he obeyed right away. But how about as a child? Well, no, as a child, he lived it perfectly. How about as a teenager? Can you imagine a teenager that just never blew it? How about as an adult? He never sinned. You see, all of those 30 years were very important. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He was in favor with God. He never sinned. Why is that? Because, you see, everyone was watching. Would he be what John said? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He had to be spotless. There could not be any blemish on him. Therefore, we saw that. He came and he demonstrated all of that. Jesus came so that he could fulfill all righteousness. He could fulfill all of the law for us. You see, there was no sin in Jesus. Let's stop and think for a moment. This is an interesting side thought, and that is maybe you've heard of this term peccability or impeccability. Could Jesus have sinned or couldn't he have sinned? If he could not have sinned, could he be an actual sacrifice and substitute for us? And the answer is Jesus Christ could not have sinned. Jesus Christ came to be the sinless, spotless lamb. Every test that he took demonstrated he was the son of God. And God can't sin. He could not sin. And all of these demonstrate for us why. Because, and ye know, verse 5, that he was manifested, he came visibly to take away our sins. Why? Because in him is no sin. When you think about Easter and you hear they talk about Good Friday, what makes that such a Good Friday? Well, it's good for us because the substitute came. Jesus Christ did not come to break the law. He came to fulfill it. Why is that so important? Because the law is God. It reflects God's goodness. And in him, not only am I forgiven, but I am perfect in the law. Not in myself, but in him. He takes away our sin. He delivered us. And then we read this in verse 6. Whoso abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Our, our English translation here is difficult for us to catch the grasp of this. It has the idea of a person whose lifestyle, it doesn't say if a person ever sins, because we would all have to say, well, then we don't know him. But what the word, what the original language here is telling us, a person that is, that their practice is that they want to sin, and that's why you see this contrast. Notice the beginning and the ending of that verse. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. What happens as we abide in Christ? 
we begin to say, I don't, I don't want to sin. I see the ugliness of sin. I see the awfulness of sin. I don't want to sin. I know the heresy that says sinless perfection. Well, I know I do sin. But my desires have changed. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's the difference of which family, which kingdom you're living in. If your desire is to sin, I'm not saying that you do sin. The Apostle Paul said that. He said, I'm so frustrated that my body still wants to sin, but I don't want to sin. The things that I really want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. He says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is, we have been redeemed. And the whole point of justification is the fact that we have been saved but I want you to notice sanctification is we are being saved and glorification is coming. We will ultimately be saved. And that's the thing that every day brings me joy. I am not stuck over here. Though I do sin and though I confess my sin and he is faithful and just to forgive us, but he is changing me. My desires have changed. I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my Savior. I want to be like my Heavenly Father. But you see, there were those that were coming in and teaching, one, that Jesus Christ was not who he said that he was. But second of all, well, if you're saved, it doesn't matter. Go out, go out and sin that grace may abound. It was a real popular thing for a while where people were struggling and they were saying, well, I'm not legalistic. Legalism is when you try by keeping the law to be saved. That's legalism. We've, we've, we've changed, we've swapped definitions on this today. Now we're saying, you're free to live however you want. That's heresy. Because what you're saying is, I'm free to live in opposition to my Heavenly Father. You see, I don't keep the law to be saved. Now that the Holy Spirit lives within me, I desire to keep the law. I don't. I fail. But my desire has changed.